Um, let us uh, begin with a word of prayer this morning. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you, O Lord, for your great mercies. Help us to understand uh, the gift and responsibility that you have given us concerning um, being uh, rulers, Lord, and exercising spiritual authority. I pray, O Lord, that you would grant us faithfulness to you and your word. Strengthen us this day, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, last week, I gave you a little bit of an overview of the conference that I was at, and kind of left us hanging a little bit at the end of Sunday school, but for those that may not have been here, or just to kind of remind us where we left off, um, the, uh, I, I just want to um, hit two things. Um, you know, the, the spirituality of individualism, that is uh, trying to be a Christian detached from the church, and of course that's a great lie of Satan that you can maintain a healthy relationship with God outside of connection with the body of Christ. Um, yes, there certainly can be exceptions when God calls a person, say, to be a, uh, a uh, the light, the only light in the dark and in, in, in non-Christian area. Um, but I, as I made the point last week, when they themselves are in worship with God, they are elevated. But that's an exception into the presence of the saints singing and glorifying to God. But that's not what we're talking about um, as far as the whole goes. I want us to understand that uh, the, spiritual, the spirituality of individualism, this false concept, is a lie from Satan. Okay, it's a lie from Satan. Um, this this uh, concept of individualism is tailored to offend none and therefore affect nothing. Okay, tailored to offend none and therefore affect nothing. And uh, basically what we're talking about is the idolatry of self, um, why, in fact, do we, when we, uh, wh- why do we say the creeds? Anybody want to speak to that? Why do we say the creeds here in worship? Boy, I must not be doing Maybe we could recap the, what was listed last time, which was it unites us to other churches, maybe even that look a little bit less like us, at least gives us a bare minimum of orthodoxy. It uh, is a standard by which to judge the rest of the service in case anything is broken amiss. Uh, and there were two others uniting us with the past I think there was one more that we came up with well and and so in that thank you Jonathan in that I just want us to recognize that these are the standards um, for us and that we need to remember um, such as the Nicene Creed was written with you know we in the plural we as the body of Christ in a world that wants to idolize the individual, um, we need to recognize that the standard is that which is held uh, by the church, the body of Christ. And just in case, for those of you, anyone out there, um, we'll assume none of you, but maybe someone that listens to this later, 
you say, well, what happens to me, the individual, that I would just point us to consider the Trinity for a moment to say we have three persons um, in the triune God, and none of them, their, their personal identity is not lost in the fact that they are three persons but one. They're in perfect unity together. So we can, of course, be individuals. We are individual stones in, in the temple of God, um, and yet we are all the church, the temple of the living God. Um, and then I left us the kind of, um, I guess, if you want to say it, the dramatic thing to hang our hat on at the end. As I, I quoted Pastor Dwayne Garner, um, who, you know, in a question and answer time, the question was asked to the to the panel, why is it that um, other religions, um, I think they were clearly referencing Islam, for example, um, you know, why is it that when they say things against LGBTQ, etc., um, that doesn't really become much of a discussion in the uh, social media marketplace, uh, but if the church or Christians make such statements um, against these types of sins, <clears throat> why is it that the, the world kind of loses their mind and, and, and raises up and bristles against such things? And Dwayne pointed it out this way, other religions are not a threat. If you want to overthrow the king, you'll go after Christians who are the rulers of the world. And uh, I, I, I want us to recognize um, that the church um, and, uh, you know, we as individuals, we are called to, we, we would all agree, I think, about the dominion mandate, right? We're called to be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion. And as we've discussed many times before, we know that um, the uh, Great Commission is part of that, right? Go ye therefore into all the world, making disciples and baptizing them, right? And then teaching them all that I have commanded. Um, that's part of the dominion mandate. Um, but I think a lot of times we forget the early instructions of God and don't come back to the understanding of what dominion is about. And that is um, taking a level of maturity and growth in yourself and in what God has given you and then taking dominion over it. Um, and what, what, does that, what does that mean? I, I referenced at the very end of the last Sunday school, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, of course, when we see, uh, when we see this, um, we, we, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I'll, I'll put it on myself and not on everyone else. I think frequently I can recite these things and forget um, their, the intention. Why did Jesus tell us this? Why, why is he telling us um, to, um, after bringing praise um, and, and uplifting um, 
God's name, um, we ask for God to bring his kingdom so that his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. What, what, is, what does it mean to take dominion? What does it mean to rule over what um, God has given you? It is to take it and make it and organize what God has given you. We'll call this space your realm of influence or my realm of influence and to organize it and build it in a way <coughs> excuse me, that it reflects how things are in heaven. That's the actionable item, if you will, for us. So what does that look like in what we do? Um, how we met, do, do the use of our finances, are they in a way that, that is ordered by the priorities of heaven? What about our time? What about our thoughts? What about our entertainment? What about our care for eternal beings? Uh, Toby Sumpner, in uh, a book he wrote on marriage, points out that uh, when we as, as a couple come together and we um, have children, that we are, by God's grace, uh, creating eternal beings. So are our lives ordered in our homes with the idea that you're looking at eternal beings? Um, I had the, uh, the pleasure of dining with the Waz on Friday night. <laughs> and and wh what do we have? we have? We have a family with a variety of ages of children. Uh, we have pets. We've got a lot of things going on. And, and you have this, uh, you see God's humor in life, right? Um, at, at moments, you know, the... The dog is the center of attention, and at other moments, you know, you're making changes based off of what's happening with the cat uh, to a small child knocking over um, their, their milk and milk going everywhere, and there was no crying over spilt milk. But my, my only point, though, is that all these things are going on, and as I was reflecting on this, and this is uh, just the joy of, of parenting, of course, and you look down at that child that was sitting there um, on the stool and the milk gets knocked over and we're all moving around and, and all of this. There sat an eternal being who knocked over her milk, right? And, and so, and, but, but, but I, I want us to think, I want us to think about the fact that then how we respond in those moments, are we responding out of our own frustration of things? And, and, and praise God, there was none of that. But, but I, what I'm saying is, but looking at the fact that here's an eternal being that, that belongs to God, right? And she is the future of the church. Well, what I'm, what, what I'm saying in this is that, that every human being that's ever been will be, you know, we are eternally either with God or eternally against God, right? When the final judgment comes, some will go to damnation and some will 
dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So in that way, um, they're eternal. Not eternal from the beginning. Only God is that. Eternal are the ones that are actually on. Right. And, and just as a, as a point of reference, because this is a good question, point of reference, um, I love C.S. Lewis's way to describe it, and Doug Wilson has pointed this out from time to time, that as we, when we go into heaven, just like you see in C.S. Lewis's books, he talks about how, you know, God is infinite, right? And that all of eternity, God is so infinite, we're never going to exhaust all there is of God. We're going to just simply be further up and farther in, in knowledge and understanding of God and his attributes. We're never going to get to the end because we are finite and he is not. Um, so in, in that way, but I want us to think about the fact that, you know, the, the things that we're doing, are they um, intended simply for our short-term conveniences and comforts? Or do we labor with small children? Or how about this? Older children or parents or whoever else are in our lives that God has placed us in our realm of influence, are we ordering our relationships in such a way that it reflects the kingdom of heaven? Eternal consequences. One day, every one of the adults in this room is going to lay down and be called to the presence of God. We pray in, in God's grace that it will be to be entered into his eternal kingdom, right? But then all these children that we have here and the children coming after that and the ones after that, uh, they are the future of the church. And we need to be mindful of how we um, order all of these things. Um, we, we could spend a great deal of time going in that, but I want us to be able to uh, move along. Um, I want us to recognize that um, in, in Matthew 28, that verse 18, the part that we don't often quote, um, we see that all authority, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And because of that, go and make disciples. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21 says, Far above all principalities and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. This is in reference to Jesus. And it says, and he put all things under his feet. God the Father put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to who? The church, which is his, is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. Part of what I want us to think about as it relates to yourself, this church, the larger body of Christ, is that Christ's authority has been given to the church. And we have to exercise that authority in the realm in which God has given us, in the area of dominion that God has given us. And this was, of course, God's plan from the beginning. If you look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 18, we see that when Daniel is uh, seeing these visions and the, the vision is, is explained, we see that um, 
it says this, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. We can also see that, that this is true in, in verse 22 of that same chapter of Daniel. And I only bring this up to say that God, from his very beginning, when he creates the world, sets us out, gives us a dominion mandate, and, and we are to be going from small responsibilities, being faithful in those things, and then finding from there that when we're faithful in the small things, God gives us more. And in that way, uh, we, we strive to, um, in, in maturity, to rule and extend God's kingdom here on earth. And <clears throat> I, I think this is important. Last week I referenced the, the idea that the culture is a reflection of the state of the church. Okay, I, I, I made reference to that, and uh, I've had several people ask me about that. And part of what I want us to understand is there is certainly a degree of when we go into a new and pagan and un, uh, a place where the gospel's not been preached, that has not been converted, um, that is taking dominion in that new space, right? But when you talk about the history of the church and what God has done, and you look in it and you say, what, is, what happened? What happened in these Christian nations that brought about the terrible things that happened uh, where the cultures, you know, that there, there's the, the idea, you know, we've all heard the phrase, um, the statement, and at one time in much pride, the sun never sets on the British Empire, right? And a lot... Not entirely. Obviously, there were some people that were simply merely trying to profit from the expansion of the British Empire, but there was also a large missionary effort from that, right? And a good deal, as a matter of fact, you know, our, our primary confession, <coughs> excuse me, in the, American, in the American reform world is the Westminster Confession. Okay, and that came from what? The Christian church, what's that? Westminster. Westminster. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that came from the Christian church on, in, on the British Isles, right? And yet today, something like less than 3% of Great Britain goes to church at all. How did that happen? What was going on? And obviously, go ahead. So, so, so the compromise, you know, a lot of times I think I, I'm, you're, you're, de you're definitely heading down the path of what we want to discuss here, but, but we, we tend to think that we're reactionary. Did you have your hand up in the back?
And, and I certainly believe, I think it's a general consensus here, that uh, what God was doing with um, the pandemic, uh, amongst a, a great many things, was to winnow and purify his church, right? And then also to call the lost to him. I've, I've reflected on this. I think there was a great move of God in the, the days leading up to the pandemic at the Naval Academy, for example. I can tell you by talking with and having relationships with guys and, and midshipmen in general, young men, young women, that the Lord was, was plowing the ground of the hearts there and that um, when they broke, there were a bunch of them that had just really come to a place of new salvation or actually living. Um, God made it clear to them that they needed to live faithfully to him. And I don't think that was an isolated pocket. I think as you get out there and you look at things, there was a lot of that going on. God was, was at work there. But I, I want us to understand um, that uh, I think it's easy to think about it in this way. What does the Bible say if you don't discipline your child, somebody? You hate them. You hate them, right? And what happens, according to the Proverbs, when you have a, a child, oft referenced as a son, what, what is, happens when... Uh, a son isn't disciplined, how do they act? Selfish? Right? And uh, how does it reflect to the parents? Well, I mean, it brings shame, right? It brings destruction to themselves and, and creates a, a level of disrepute to the parents. And, and I say all this to say when we, when we, I think we all genuinely get that part, but how does that relate to the church? Have you ever heard the church referred to as Mother Kirk? Right? So we are the bride of Christ. We're making disciples. We are um, the mother to the people in the church, the disciples. We're raising them up as a mother, right? And we have authority in that way. What happens when um, the church doesn't discipline itself, doesn't discipline those that are given to them, which they have dominion over? And God will bring in unbelievers to get saved. He brings judgment. We're going to talk about this in the, in the sermon today. Um, it wasn't, it just happened to be a parallel thing that turned up as I was studying our passage for today. But I will tell you, Deuteronomy 32, um, there, we'll, we'll read that and discuss that a little in the sermon today. But um, God talks about when you have great success, you get fat, and it, this is in other places too. But he says specifically that he's, gonna, he's going to bring judgment bring trouble, bring difficulty, to create a jealousy. He's going to bless others, right, to bring us to a place of jealousy, right, so that we would respond in a right way when we see the blessing on those to whom we don't think it belongs to. One of my favorite passages of the Bible is, Geshurin grew fat and kicked. That, that's exactly, that's, that's Deuteronomy 32, okay, yeah. right? picture this just rolls on this 
teenager. Pizza in one hand, his mom comes in. You next need to clean up this room. You look like <laughs> That's right. So I, I, I say all of this to say this. When the church is not faithful to discipline itself, that's the authority we've been given, right? We, we, then, we are then in a place where um, we start, it, it looks like what has happened is that we've compromised. But the, but the true compromise came with a willingness not to obey God. And then we start taking on the attributes of, of, of the world, yes, but the, why, why are the pagan nations not converted? Well, the church isn't doing what it's supposed to do for itself first. You know, it's sort of like when you're on, you get on an airplane. I, it's never happened to me, you know, and I've been on quite a few flights over the years. And some of you have been on so many flights. But, you know, what, what happens? You get up there and they explain how to operate a seatbelt, right? Which, you know, these days, I can understand when they first started that and cars didn't have seatbelts and all this, and you might have to explain it to people how to put them on. Seems silly today. But um, then they get to this part about the mask. No, you lose, you know, pressure, cabin pressure, a mask will drop down, and they explain how to put that on. And what, what do they say concerning if you have a child or, or a needy person next to you what do they tell you do yours first right if you yourself are are going to lose consciousness right you can't help the needy beside you right if we don't discipline ourselves if we don't exercise authority within the realm that god has given us if we're not faithful with the little things that god has given us he does not grant, he doesn't grant more responsibility. Yes? And, and I think one of the main mechanisms that that happens is the world is completely justified when we come to them and we talk to them about their sexual perversion to say, how come you're not dealing with adultery in your own marriage? And that they're exactly right, and we have no place. And, and, and I think that's the mechanism where David with his failure with Bathsheba, when his son raped uh, his sister. Tamar. Her, Tamar, yeah. Um, David didn't really feel like he had the moral authority to handle that appropriately because he had failed so egregiously. Now, he, I think he should have anyway. He repented, but yeah. So, so I want to quickly run through a few things here. You know, I'm just, I'm trying to like, you know, I know we're tying over from last week, but now kind of plow through here help feed this idea a little more. In Matthew 16, 15, um, Jesus said to them, But who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And then, of course, he then says, you know, the time he's not right, so he says he then commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was, that, that he was Jesus the Christ. And so um, I, I want us to think about the keys of the kingdom, 
uh, binding and loosing for a moment and, and point us to, uh, in, in Revelation, we see that there are several places. We see in Revelation 20, it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon and the serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So we see that there is a chain with which to bind, okay, and that, that there is um, keys and that there is binding and loosing. And in verse 7 of chapter 20 of Revelation, it says, Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out and deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. So and if you back up a little bit and you look at the, the discussion about the millennium, and again you see there's a discussion of, of the binding of the accuser, the binding of the slanderer, right? I, I think we can, when, when we look at the whole of this, and we'll talk a, a little more on a couple of these things here, but I would, I would tell you that, that it, it, it would seem that the church is the chain. And when we are faithful, because we're in the church age, we're in the millennium, if you will, that if we will be faithful, discipline ourselves, discipline the body of Christ, right, that we chain and bind Satan, and the church moves forward, and more of the nations are discipled. Um, the, uh, and I, I don't come to this um, simply by my own, okay, I'm pulling this out of thin air. Um, James Jordan um, has, a, has a, a series on the Canon Plus app, if you want to listen to it. It is quite lengthy. 143 hours on Revelation. He has a three-part series on the millennium, and part two of that discusses this at length. Um, but but I, I, I want us to understand that we have been given the keys to the kingdom, and obviously how does that play itself out? That plays itself out in the local church in relationship to, um, you know, on the church government side of things, the elders, um, calling people to repentance, disciplining them, excommunicating some, and, and how that moves back and forth, right? How does that play out um, within? And what is, what is the purpose of excommunication? Anybody know? Yes? So the person repents and you bring them back. So they, they repent and are restored? Sam, you had a comment? Uh, about the purifying of the church. So the purifying of the church is the secondary piece right the primary piece is to call a person to repentance right and so what what we want to understand in this is is ordinarily um, it, it's it's about understanding that everyone in here has a household that they're a part of right some of you are as my brother used to say I'm Peter party of one you might be the, an individual by yourself you are a household to yourself. God, it says, um, you know, that he gives, um, 
when, when you get a good wife, that's a gift from the Lord, right? So God gifts you into uh, a good marriage, and you're working through things, you're dealing with things, right? You now have your, your kingdoms expanded a little bit in terms of your own household, and you have an obligation to order it in a way that reflects heaven and how things are in heaven, centered on the worship of God and doing things to the glory of God to extend his kingdom, okay? And I'll tell you, as a guy who's been around the church a long time in a variety of capacities, I've been involved in all kinds of, if you want to call them disciplinary actions in the church, okay, that almost all of them from the church side have to do with not ordering the person's household in to reflect heaven, okay? So what, what we're doing is we're, we're going to discipline and do things here properly, and frequently that has to do with not, first of all, ruling yourself and disciplining yourself, but then how then you treat your wife, you treat your children, um, is that reflective? So, so we are, we have authority in that way. We need to understand that when we don't exercise that authority, we are loosing Satan to run havoc in our homes, in our businesses, and in this very church. Okay? So, first of all, to all of us, let us repent for, for where we're not ordering our lives in this way. Okay, and then also let us um, joyfully take correction. The excommunication is the final thing. But when, when we look at when we look at what's going on in this country, the church has not historically disciplined their members when they do things, when they create like let's talk about it from a our representative government. When our representatives make decisions that are against God's clear word, we haven't rose up as a people and said, don't do that. And if you do this, if you support this, we're going to excommunicate you. Okay? That's easy for us to point at, well, like, look at the Catholic Church, right? Look at how many judges are Catholic. Look at how many um, people in the legislatures have been Catholic through the years, and they've supported abortion, and they've done this, and they've done that. And why hasn't the Catholic Church disciplined them? We haven't done it either. I say we largely, right? We must say to a person, if they claim to be a Christian, Catholic or not, if they claim to be a Christian, then they're supposed to be submitting themselves to the rule of God's word. Amen. Are we willing to say, brother, don't come to this table, right? Because you're going to eat and drink judgment on yourself because you are in absolute rebellion to God. Yes? Also, we fought the Catholics on the Supreme Court that overturned Roe, and I have a buddy who's the CEO of an anti-abortion campaign, and the only... The only people willing to go get a, arrested with him are Catholics, uh, nine times out of ten. So, uh, say a good word. Right, right. I, I'm, I'm yeah, no, I know you're not. Yeah. I don't yeah. think they're the bad ones. I think <laughs> <laughs> so the bad ones are the good ones. I think ones. the Catholics yeah. that like, 
Go ahead uh, um, in the back there. Um, remind me of your first name. David. David. David, yes, thank you, David. So I was going to ask you, like, the, so the whole idea of, like, the responsibility of the church and culture and culture is downstream from the church, why, in your opinion, do you think that even solid biblical churches are so hostile to this idea? Uh, <laughs> of, of them being upstream to the church? Downstream, like, of culture being downstream from the church and the responsibility of the church when it comes to the culture. Like, even very solid biblical churches are hostile to this idea now. Why, in your opinion, do you think well, because we have a form of godliness, but we deny its power. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be real honest here. At the end of the day is, are you going to say, I am under the authority of Christ, or I am in rebellion to the authority of Christ? Yes. I, I think another reason is you're saying to Rome, or you know, not the federal government, right. in our churches, I'm picking a fight with you. Mm-hmm. You are my lap dog. Five hundred one C three. Yeah, there we go. Thanks. <laughs> number number one for C. <laughs> they don't want to lose their tax exempt status. So that's massive. Right. A lot of churches that go under, they have such a razor thin budget. Right. And there are talks to wipe that away because when political things are spoken from, and and I think an improper view of separation of church and state yeah. makes a lot of pastors terrified to pick that battle. So so I agree. I, I want us to be able to come here, and we're going to dig into this further moving forward but but when the church is not faithful when we do not bind those things that we are called to bind right the world gets worse right we are the priests to the nations right we we intercede for the nations that's what Israel was called to do that's what the church is called to do you know you know, I sometimes hear people, not very often, but every once in a while, man, we have long prayers. And I'm like, man, it could be longer. Maybe sometimes it should be longer. Because what, what we believe is that we are ascending into the presence of the Almighty. And we are, just as Jesus intercedes for his church, we're at his right hand interceding for the world and the church. Okay, we're interceding in the heavenlies to the Almighty. Could we pray a little longer for that? I mean, I'm just—I'm not trying to guilt us into that. I just want us to understand. Um, tarry up. If if it's distracting because it's too long, take notes. Right, so that you can add that to your prayer list. Right, I'm just—I'm just saying that we need, we need to recognize. That, that we're under the authority of Jesus Christ. And the truth is, and I'll close with this, um, I, I was uh, meeting on Friday afternoon with a, a family in Virginia that's trying to figure out what to do next. They've become reformed, and they're in one of those places where uh, you know, the church that they serve in, he actually works at the church. He's not a pastor, but he works in their, their media. And uh, trying to figure out what are the next steps, how do I do things. And so we went through some theology, we talked about different things and some practical things, and they, they have a new baby, and it's all kind of exciting, those new things. And, and I, I admonish, and I do this all the time with young people getting ready to get married, and I say it to you, you've heard me say it, listen, 
Um, we need to recognize this. Men, you're going to sin against your wives and your children. Demonstrate that you are under the authority of Jesus Christ. Of course, that's measured up in your elders of your church, but demonstrate it in your own home by when you sin, be quick, be quick to repent to God, repent to your wife, repent to your children. And if you sin against your wife in front of your children, repent in front of them. Teach them that you are under the authority of Jesus Christ. And that does more to preach the gospel to them in their daily lives than anything else. And, and uh, of course, we're talking about ordering, reading the Bible, singing, all the other things, catechizing our kids. But I want to tell you in that way, that is how you preach the gospel and demonstrate that you are not a tyrant, but you are under the authority of Jesus Christ. It should be demonstrated in that way. All right, let us, uh, let us close in prayer and we'll continue on doctrines of the church in the coming weeks. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you for your kindness. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to look to you for all truth. Please prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises, Lord, of which we are so grateful. We're not saved by our works, but by the fact that you loved us, you called us. And Lord, so we ask you, please finish the good work you've begun in us. We ask this humbly in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.